everybody, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so glad that you are here. Uh, welcome those of you over in East Hall and those of you who are tuning in. Uh, welcome. All right. In Matthew chapter 22, a lawyer walks up to Jesus and asks him a question. It's a good question. What's the most important commandment? What, is, what matters most to God? And Jesus responded, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We spent January uh, talking about a theme that will carry us from now till September. And our theme is simply love matters most. Love matters most. We're taking it from those verses. But Jesus went on to say, all the law and the prophets depend on this. And what he was saying was that every single law in the Bible rightly understood, is about love. So right now we are in a two and a half month series on the Ten Commandments because we are looking at each commandment to find the core of love within that commandment. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, the verses will come up on the screen as well. If you're over in East Hall, I know it's dark there. You can use your phone or it'll be on the screen. I want to read the first two verses of Exodus chapter 20. It's right before Jesus or God gives the Ten Commandments. I read these last week, but I want to point out a couple things again. This is what it says. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right, there are two things I want you to keep in mind. We talked about them last week, but I need you to keep them in mind as we go through all Ten Commandments. And the first is this. God starts by reminding the Israelites who he is and what he has already done for them. And what he's already done is pretty spectacular. He has already rescued them out of slavery. He has already saved them. He has already decided that he loves them. And then he gives them the law. First thing I need you to remember is this. The order matters. The order matters. The fact that it's love first and then the law is important. If you put the law first and you say you have to become a good person before God will love you, you have a different religion. It's not this religion. Because this religion says this, God loves you first before he gives you the law. Because, and this is the second thing I want you to remember, the law is not a ladder. The law is not a ladder. You don't obey God so that you climb up a ladder. If you do enough good things, you actually get all the way to heaven. There's no ladder that reaches up that high. God will not, that's not the way you connect with God. It's not the way you get to heaven. Right? If you are connected with God, it is because and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Period. That's what the cross is all about. That's why Jesus would say in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So as we go through these Ten Commandments, I want you to be reminding yourself all the time that the order matters because it's so easy to slip into the idea that you need to obey God, you need to become a good person in order for God to love you. That order matters. It's important to remember, too, that the law is not a ladder. It's not the way you connect with God. There's no ladder that reaches up that high. The only way to connect with God is through Jesus. All right? 
All right, now let's look at commandment number two. We covered the first commandment last week. I'm going to read the verses. It's verses four through six, and then I'm going to give you my three points for this morning. This is what it says. This is Exodus chapter 20, verses four through six. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is God's word. Okay, the second commandment is to not make any images, and I, I'm calling this message, Don't Make Me Up. Don't Make Me Up. And here are my three points. First point, why we want an image of God. Number two, why an image won't work. And number three, why Jesus is the one we need. Why we want an image, why an image won't work, and why Jesus is the one we need. First, why we want an image. Before I tell you that, I want to ask you to kind of open your heart and your mind up. If creating an image of God wasn't a temptation for every single one of us, it wouldn't have made it into the top 10. So what I need you to do is open up the idea, the possibility that you are struggling in making up an image of God, even though you don't feel like you are. That'll make it much easier for you to hear from God if he wants to speak to you today. All right? So here's the question. Why do we want an image of God. Well, let's be honest. Having an invisible God is challenging, at least at times. Uh, when you pray, uh, maybe I should just say when I pray, sometimes it feels like I'm talking to myself. It would be so great to have someone who was visible, something that is tangible, right? But to be fair, there are other things that are invisible that we don't struggle with. There are things that are invisible that we don't struggle and wonder whether they exist or not or whether they will help us or not. Oxygen is one of those things, right? Like you can't see oxygen. You've never seen oxygen, right? And you know that if you don't get oxygen, you will die within minutes, right? But nobody brought a meter this morning, held it into the room you were going into to check it and see if there was enough oxygen for you to survive. And what's wild is that the people around you are sucking in oxygen and blowing out carbon dioxide right now. And you know carbon dioxide will kill you. So forget the flu. Worry about oxygen, right? But nobody's panicking. At least you weren't until I mentioned it. Because we have no problem believing that oxygen exists. We have no problem believing that oxygen is all around us and doing something for us even right now. But God is different, and I get that. There's an iconic scene in the movie Cool Hand Luke. Uh, Paul Newman starred in Cool Hand Luke. It came out in 1967. It's a classic. If you have not seen Cool Hand Luke, you should watch it. But uh, Cool Hand Luke is this uh, confident, cocky, charismatic, uh, fearless kind of character. And he's in prison. And it's set in the early 1950s, so it's like a, a chain gang 
kind of prison. And Cool Hand Luke has this, in this iconic scene, he has just found out that his mother died while he was in the hole, which is solitary confinement. It was like a shack. And he comes into the prison barracks and he is broken. You can see he is broken. And all the other prisoners, they've never seen Cool Hand Luke like this. And they just watch him as he walks by because they don't know what he's going to do. And he gets to his bunk bed and he gets up on the bed and he reaches and he gets a banjo and he begins to pluck the strings of the banjo and he sings a little song. And he kind of sings and kind of talks the song. And while he's singing, tears begin to roll down his cheeks. And this is the song he sang. He said, I don't care if it rains or it freezes, long as I have my plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. Comes in colors pink and pleasant, glows in the dark because it's iridescent. Take him with you when you travel far. It's such an amazing scene because you realize as he's singing that and the tears are cascading down his face, that is, he's not just crying because his mother died. He's crying because the image of God that he had didn't work. That Jesus on the dashboard of his car did not keep his mother alive. There are two big temptations with creating an image of God. And the first big temptation is that if you create an image of God, you can control that image. You can put them on the dashboard of your car when you need them, take them with you when you travel far. You can put them in the drawer when you don't need him. Right? You control God. There's an interesting story in 1 Samuel chapter 4. The Israelites are in battle against their arch enemies, the Philistines, and they are losing the battle. They haven't talked to God in a long time. They haven't even thought about God. But nothing makes you think about God faster than losing a battle. And so they get this idea and they think, wait, we need God. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant and we'll take that into battle with us. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a box about the size of a toy box covered with gold with two angels that faced each other. And the lid was called the mercy seat. God had designed the Ark of the Covenant for worship. And the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to sit in what's called the Holy of Holies. And one day a year, the high priest was to take the blood of a sacrifice, walk into the Holy of Holies, pour it onto the mercy seat. And God said, if I have something to say to you, I will say it then. But they had not talked to God in a long time. But they still thought, I know, we'll get something visible, something tangible. And we'll bring him in. We'll put him on the dashboard of our car and we'll head to battle. And that's what they did. And they got slaughtered. Because it was an image of God. Listen, this is one of the ways that you know that you, are, you have an image of God and not the real God. Is that you only bring him out when you really need him. You don't spend time with him. You don't pray to him. You don't read the Bible to try to find out more of how he thinks or what he's like. You only think about God before the important interview or the important sales call or the big test or the big game. And then you pray. 
And if you do that, then you need to be open to the idea that you, are, you do not have a relationship with the real God. You have just an image of God because you are taking him out when you need him and you're putting him away when you don't. All right, that's the first temptation we have to create an image of God is that we get to control him. The second one is that you can create an image of God in such a way that it's kind of a designer God. You take a slice of God and then you kind of fill out the rest into like a caricature of God. Um, a photograph is an image. If, if somebody takes a photograph of me, that's an image. It is me, but it's not all of me. It's just a thin slice of me. Uh, this is a picture of me that was taken this past summer. This is me at my daughter's wedding, and I am dancing with my daughter, Becca. And that is the happy me. That is the happy Joe, right? So if, if that's all you knew about me, if that's the only image that you had of me, then you, whenever you thought about me, you'd say, oh, Joe, yeah, he's happy. That's a happy guy. Happy, 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 right? And if somebody ever told you a story about me being sad or about me being mad, you would go, no, no, that's not my Joe. My Joe's happy, 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 right? People do that with God all the time. People decide on a part of God that they like, that they resonate with. That, and many times that God is very much like them. And then they create a God like that. I, I call that the Oprah God. And I, I love Oprah. I don't mean to pick on her, but I'm going to pick on her. And the reason is because I know when she was young, she believed in the God of the Bible. She has said that. But now she doesn't. Now she will say stuff publicly. She'll say, my God is not like that. And what I found when I listened to Oprah, I, I find that her God never disagrees with her. That Oprah's God and Oprah are very, very close. They think alike. They believe alike. And listen, this is the danger. If you, one of the ways that you know you have an image of God is if God thinks like you, votes like you, posts on social media like you, then you probably don't have the real God. If your God, if God does not correct you in some deep, deep and strong ways, if God does not disagree with you, does not confuse you, does not surprise you at times, then there's a very good chance that you do not have the real God. You have an image of God. So that's why we want an image. That's a God that we can control, a God that we can fashion really in our own likeness. Now, the second question is why an image doesn't work. Why an image doesn't work. I watched a movie a couple of years ago. It was a fascinating movie. It was kind of a movie about modern love. Young man was interested in a young woman. And uh, he got on social media to try to find out about her. And he found out that she posts a ton of information about herself on social media. And he realized that the more he looked, the more information he gathered, that he could actually become her dream man. And so he began to present himself like that to her. 
And the whole movie, he is reading the right books. He is liking the right food. He is enjoying the right music. He is doing everything right. And then it comes to this climactic moment in the movie where the woman turns to him and she says to him, I think I love you. And you think when you're watching the movie, it's perfect. The plan worked. And you see him just freeze. And then as he begins to kind of fall into himself because he realizes that she doesn't really love him. She loves an image that was created. And the image that he created doesn't even exist. So she loves something that doesn't exist. You can't have a relationship with just an image. That's one of the reasons it doesn't work. The other reason it doesn't work is that when you can control God, when you can fashion God after your image, that might work well as long as things are going well, but it's only a matter of time before you call on that God to do something for you. You want them to have power and something that you have made up, something that is image, that is an image, doesn't have power. In fact, something that is just an image is incredibly fragile. And it's just a matter of time before something happens and the image is shattered. And everyone in here knows someone who grew up believing in God. But something happened. And now they say, you know what? I don't believe in God anymore. Their image of God has been shattered because the God they believed in didn't act the way they wanted him to act, didn't do what they wanted him to do, what they, count, what they created him to do. And this is a terrible, terrible thing. If you know anybody who's done this, it's incredibly hard for them to ever find the true God, the living God, when their image has been shattered. If you noticed, when I read verses 5 and 6, there's... A little bit disconcerting things in verses 5 and 6. This is what it says. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I think it's disconcerting. God says, I'm a jealous God. We usually we think of jealousy as being a negative thing because we contaminate it in our relationships. But pure jealousy is resentment toward a rival of your love. It's resentment toward a rival of your love. What God is saying is, I love you. I love you so much, I resent a rival to myself. Don't create an image of me that rivals my love for you because this is what's gonna happen. But I don't just love you, I love your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. That's why he says to the third and fourth generation. And the reason he says that is that you were raised by parents where this happened to them. And they raised you to say, and they kept saying to you, you know what? Don't worry about God. Don't believe in God. He, He has been shattered in our lives. You know how hard a journey it was for you to find your way here today. Incredibly hard. Now, if you're here today and you come from a legacy of faith where your parents and your grandparents were telling you, this is the true God, you can trust this God, you know that is a much easier road to find your way here to God. That's what God means when he says, I'm a jealous God. 
So we have a problem. We're in a dilemma. We want a God that we can control. It's nice to have a God that we can fashion that agrees with us. But we also know we need a God who has power with whom we can have relationship. And that brings me to the third point, why Jesus is the one we need. Why Jesus is the one we need. Let me read a passage from Colossians. This is one of my all-time favorite passages on Jesus, on just the way Paul describes Jesus. This is the way he writes. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. That is fascinating right there when we're talking about an image of God. What Paul says is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amazing thing. That's a description of a God you don't put on your dashboard and take with you when you travel far. It's a whole different ballgame with this God, with this Jesus. What's, what's interesting is that the way he describes Jesus, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are four Gospels, right? None of them give a detailed physical description of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I mean, if I walked out in the hallway, met Jesus, came back in, and I said, I just saw Jesus, I would then describe what he looked like to you. But the Gospels don't do that. Probably because we would make an image and put it on the dashboard. What the Gospels do is they tell us stories about Jesus. They tell us teachings about Jesus. What we find in the Gospels, sometimes we see Jesus and he is kind and compassionate. Other times he is argumentative and cutting. Other times he is contemplative or funny. He is a a whole person, a real person. And that means a couple of things. It means that when you, oh, and let me tell you this, that's why it's so important for you to read the Bible. And you ought to keep reading the Bible. And if you don't, if you haven't read the Bible in a while, then grab a Bible and read just the Gospels. Keep reading the Gospels. Because what will happen, the, if you quit reading the Bible, what will happen is you'll begin to fill in the blanks with Jesus, with your own ideas, until eventually you will have an image of him and not the real him. But because Jesus is real, it means a couple of things. One, it means he will not always agree with you. He will not always agree with you. And you have to be ready for that. I'll just give you an example. All right, the Jesus in the Gospels, if you are Republican, might mess you up. In the way that he talks about social justice, about refugees, about the primacy of the poor. If you are a Democrat, Jesus of the Bible will probably mess you up because he will talk about personal morality, the sanctity of human life, and the sanctity of marriage. 
Listen, the Jesus of the Bible will surprise you, delight you, frustrate you, contradict you, because he's real. If your Jesus never does that, he's not real. You made him up, right? But because Jesus is real, it means he can love you. He can know you. You can know him. You can love him. And because he's real, he can really help you. He does have power. He has power even over death because what Jesus says is that because he died and resurrected, that he can take you through that curtain of death to new life if you trust him. Jesus has power. Listen, verses 15 and 16 where it says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That is a God of unbelievable, almost incomprehensible power. And yet he says, I came so that you might know me, so that you might love me so that I might know you and love you. Because look at verse 20. It says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That word reconcile is a word of relationship. And what it says is the way that Jesus forms a relationship with you is by the power of his cross, not your cross, his cross, his blood, not your blood. What the Bible says that Jesus was shattered so that you might be made whole. Listen, this is true. If you want a relationship with the real God, it's Jesus you want. If you want a God who will never leave you, it's Jesus you want. If you want a God who will know you and love you, a God you can know and love, It's Jesus you want. In this second commandment, God says, don't make an image of me. I will give you Jesus because if you make an image of me, you will never know what it feels like to be fully known. You will never know what it feels like to be fully loved. A lawyer walks up to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 and asks him a question. What's the most important thing? What matters most to God? Jesus said love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law properly understood depends on this. If you've ever wondered how the law of God and the love of God connect, look no further than the second commandment where God says, don't make me up. Don't make an image of me that you can control. Don't fashion me after your own likeness. Instead, look to Jesus. I love you too much to let you make me up because for this God of the universe, love matters most. Would you go ahead and bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you, and I am so grateful. 
I'm grateful that, uh, that you came, somebody visible, tangible, that we have stories about you, teachings about you, because you are real, then we can be known by you, we can be loved by you. Because you are real, we can know you and love you. I pray for every single person in here, including myself, that you will protect us from creating an image of you where we make you into something you're not. And then we take from you the power that we need you to have in order to change us on the inside and to help us be what you want us to be. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for the power of your cross. We pray this in your name. Amen.